C-A-M-P-A-D-U-L-T-H-O-O-D Camp Adulthood Bridging the Millennial Divide One conversation at a time Interviewing guests Strangers and friends We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood. Hello and welcome to Camp Adulthood and the Resident Youth. I'm the Resident Youth, Maddie Yergi. And before we introduce our guest, um, I just wanted to say Shay couldn't be here tonight. She was dealing with um, an emergency back home. Everyone's okay, but um, just wanted you to know, like, for all of our Shay fans, like, where is she? She's cool. She'll be back next week. So no worries. But for the time being, you're stuck with me. So we're really excited to be joined by a most esteemed guest, Danielle Barrett. Hello. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Um, We're really excited in the interview portion to jump in the theater work that you're doing and especially um, the play that you wrote, The Five Stages. So really excited to dig into that. But before we begin with the segments, if you could say um, how old you are to kind of place you on the millennial spectrum, where you grew up, and then what you're doing now in New York. Yeah. So uh, hello, everyone. Uh, I'm uh, Danielle. I'm 26 years old. Uh, born in uh, 92, for all you 92 babies out there. Uh, I am from the greater Boston area suburb called Wayland, Massachusetts, about 20 minutes east of Boston. Um, Went to University of New Hampshire for my undergrad, moved to New York City about almost four years ago, so very, very amazed at that. I never thought I would be able to do it, so that's pretty great. Uh, I'm an actor, a, dir- a, dir- <laughs> a director, a writer, producer, and uh, I also currently work for an organization called Rosie's Theater Kids. It's a nonprofit that uh, gives kids in the city uh, that are in- from low socioeconomic areas of the of the greater New York area the opportunity to have intensive musical theater training. Uh, and it's co-founded awesome. by Rosie O'Donnell, yeah, oh, cool. which is super love. cool. Yeah, love. that's great. Awesome. So before we go into the regularly scheduled segments, we got a listener email. Ooh, and I'm it's very funny considering Danielle doesn't know why it's funny yet, but oh, it's very wait. funny. It's um, going to be like my mom. Like, <laughs> call uh, me once in a while. Or my mom. My mom sends us emails sometimes. <laughs> um, so it's from a gentleman. Oh. And it says, Am I a basic bro for liking hard seltzer? So fortuitous. Oh, because we're drinking truly. We are. If we could get a sponsorship, that'd be great. Oh my God. Truly. Amazing. At this moment. Yes. Drinking truly. Um, the person mentioned their subject line, White Claw, which mm. I like White Claw. Not as big of a fan as truly, obviously, because yeah. I have stocked it. But I feel like this, maybe you can tell me if you feel differently. I feel like this summer compared to last summer, hard seltzer has like exploded. Yes, definitely. Like I just recently got into it. Same. I'm a big fan. Yes. It's like light. Not too sweet, but, like, yes. flavored. And I feel like you get a weird faux sensation of being refreshed yes. as you drink. Like, you feel like you're hydrating yourself even exactly. as you're getting drunker and drunker. It's probably a placebo effect. Yes. It's just you feeling the effects of alcohol, really. It's but... the best for, like, if you're on the beach. Yes. Like, I always feel like if I drink beer or, like, the can- the canned uh, cocktails always get to me. Yes. Like, the Limeritas. Yes. I used to be a big fan of those. They're very sweet and sugary, and they, like 
hit you like a ton of bricks. Yes. And I'm a huge cider girl. So I love like a Magner's or even an Angry Orchard. But sometimes those are a little too sweet for me. Yeah. And you feel like full. Yes. And you're like, oh, this is not good These are only 100 calories. Truly. We you love are it. truly this girl's. So no, I don't think it makes you basic. I think it makes you smart and with the times. And if it's delicious and you love it, yeah, why not it. put it in your body? It's yeah. great. I'm a big believer of like, there's no such thing as guilty pleasures. It's just I agree everything. with that. Like, let your freak flag yeah, fly. Yeah, it's like who's to enjoy. say? Correct. Who's to say? Yes, I love it. All right. Well, jumping into the segments, I don't know if you want to begin. I know we were emailing before, and you said you had. A burning topic for oh, us. Oh, yes, I did. Uh, so I was thinking long and hard about what I wanted to discuss, and uh, I listened to uh, my friends, uh, Chloe Stevenson and Rebecca Bassell, shout out ladies, oh, yeah. who had uh, episodes previously, uh, and I was like, oh my God, I need a good topic. What's it <laughs> going to be? This is so much pressure, but I wanted to do it on my own. I didn't yeah. want to message you and say, you know, what are some you know, topics? Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about self-love. Oh, great. Because I have a, uh, I wouldn't say unpopular, but I have a different theory about self-love than I think is sort of the, the yeah. standard that we think about. Because I feel like for self-love, you know, when you first think about it, like what images conjure in your mind? Like self-care, like doing a face mask or like going to the spa. Yes. Or like body positivity. Yes. Like that kind of stuff. Totally. Like, like super confident things. Yeah. Maybe it's just like because I'm always hungry, but I'm always thinking like, oh yeah, oh, yeah like eat food. that piece of chocolate yeah. cake. Like, like treat whole, yourself. Yes. That whole treat mentality. yourself 2000 forever. Yeah. Exactly. But my theory is that self-love is a spectrum. So there is definitely that element on one end of it, whereas, yeah, you know, cuddle up with a good book or, you know, treat yourself to that, you know, yummy dessert or spend $30 on a massage because you need it. I'm totally all about that. I also feel like to have real self-love, there has to be a, 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 another side of that spectrum that makes you do the things that are hard, might not be as easy to you as, you know, buying a pint of ice cream or, you know, taking a nap, but... Like putting in the work for yourself. Yeah, exactly. Like investing that actual love into yourself. So going out for a walk, even if, you know, you're someone who really struggles with depression and anxiety. I mean, I've had examples of anxiety in my life, but saying, you know what, I know that even though the idea of it is really dragging on me right now, the the payoff of what I will feel afterwards and knowing, you know, kind of listening to that wise mind of yourself mm-hmm. and knowing this is actually good for me, I feel like is super important because I feel like that doesn't get touched upon as much as the treat yourself element yeah. of it, you know? It's like get up and take a shower or answer one email a day to give you just that feeling of pr- productivity or, you know, Marie Kondo your room, whatever it is. Just yeah. being able to do those things that are actually pr- – I don't want to say productive, but the things that, you know, you might be putting off, yeah. but that little voice inside of you knows, yeah, this, this is, happen. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So my theory is there, there has to be sort of give and take. There is uh, one side that is very, I guess, right brained, like what, what fuels that sort of creative, uh, emotional, spiritual side of you. And then I guess the left side of it, which is the more logical, analytical, constructive side, if that makes sense. I totally agree. I think it's an under, 
utilized aspect like I can think of an example for my own life like I'm studying for the GMAT right now as mm-hmm. we can see I'm using my books as a great mic stand so productive and I'm taking the test in three weeks and I'm like freaking out because I am like I don't want to have to take it more than once mm-hmm. even though most people do yeah. and it's like every time I study I'm just like okay I'm going to like do it in small chunks more often as opposed to like trying right. to cram at the end but it's just like so hard and especially because there's so many other app parts of the application it's really easy to be like oh I'm gonna use the time to work on my essays and then like leave the GMAT because it's really hard and it's daunting and like it's the one thing I think you know any standardized tests like that's why they have them because it's the one thing that everyone's doing and so even though like yes most schools have holistic review and it's like all the aspects of your application to grad school matters the test is the one thing that they can quantifiably say this compares you to someone else so it is important and I've heard kind of both sides of it but it's so easy to put off because it's so unpleasant I think studying for a test because you do a practice test and you get them all wrong and then you're like fuck I'm never gonna get out of this hole and then you're just like oh well maybe I'll not do that and I'll just like work on the essays and like make those really great yeah but you're never gonna get into school doing that exactly it's like that theory of like oh well you know I have to make my bed and I haven't made my bed in, you know, two weeks. But now I notice all of a sudden my closet needs mm-hmm. to get reorganized and you just kind of put off You put that these distractions thing. on yourself. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And the self just, like, you know, when you're like wasting your time. Like, I feel like social media yeah. is a big one where it's like, yes, you are just swiping through and you're like, whatever. Totally. Um, I think like we had a dating coach, Lily Womble on the podcast, and she talks a lot about this, like with dating, like a lot of people... Obviously, the apps have been gamified for a reason to, like, keep you on them. But, like, so many people, and she said, she sees this in her clients where they are just, like, swiping, swiping, swiping. And then they look at the clock and they're like, oh, I've been swiping for an hour. And then you're left with this, like, empty feeling because you're like, oh, well, I got, I either, like, didn't get any matches or, like, I'm not moving forward in my dating life. I'm not getting any closer to a relationship or whatever your goal is. And then you end up feeling worse about yourself. Yeah. It's and it's just like that instant gratification of like doing something mindless, yes. like a mindless task. Yeah, definitely. So at least if you're going to like take a break, like if you are studying or like at work, like take a walk, go get something healthy to eat. Like even if you're taking time away, like totally do something quote unquote productive. I don't know a better way to no, put that. Totally. And it's funny because my, you know, I was talking to my own therapist about it and she was saying because I have a lot of issues with like being too hard on myself and kind of being my own worst critic. And I know that that sounds super cliche. It's like, all right, oh, I think like a lot of people do that. That's yeah. your biggest struggle, like really, bitch. But it's true. <laughs> it's like, you know, that. You don't want to psych yourself out. Yeah, that inner critic is just like always there and sideswiping sort of everything that you do. And, you know, she said it's just one of those moments in life where somebody says something to you and it just kind of completely changes yeah. your thought process around. She oh. said. Yeah, this yeah. grad school thing has been, oh, like, yeah, I'm... throwing me for a loop. Like, yesterday, I don't mean to no, jump on all. your story, but, it, like, yesterday I was having drinks with an old boss, and, like, I was telling her, like, my li- my short list of schools, mm-hmm. and she, like, she was trying to be nice, but she was, like, out of, like, the five schools, she was, like, though, like, two of them seem doable, basically meaning, like, the other three oh, are, like, gosh. not doable. Like, she was trying to be nice. She's, like, oh, well, I think, like, these two are, like... Manageable. Not a stretch, yeah. and then like didn't say anything about the other ones. So I was like, oh, like, like she didn't want to tell me that. Like I have no chance. Yeah. yeah, and like she's writing my recommendations and stuff. And then like I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and like going to these like info sessions and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they're always like, 
even if you're below the average, like, apply. Like, don't take yourself out of the game. But then oh, yeah. they're like, oh, well, if you're not in the middle 80%, like, should you apply? And they're basically like, no, you should, like, shoot for that. So right. it's like, <laughs> you know. Part of my... It's really hard to, like, get that out of your head and be like... Oh, seriously. You know. Seriously. And actually, it's funny you say that because part of my, my, my day job is... Um, getting kids into college, like helping them mm. through the the holistic college application process. And I've really learned, I mean, it's been a while since yeah. I was in college and graduated in 2014, <laughs> but um, it's been, it's been so long that, it, I mean, really yeah, the whole process. Yeah, to put together process, the application, yeah. It's changed completely. So, That's interesting. So much has changed about it and it's gotten only harder, only more complex. Yeah. And it's, I, I mean, I work primarily with, um, black and Latino uh, demographics of, of kids. And it's taught me so much about really what the the acceptance of college process looks like. Yeah. And oftentimes it has very little to do with, I mean, grades are one thing, of course, and, and standardized testing and all that, that stuff. But when you think about the long and short game, it's like, you know, how diverse do they want their, their applicant pool to be? Right. There's know? almost like, they say there's no quotas, but like... They're obviously trying to make sure it's not just one type of person. Right, exactly. It's like you are being judged to a certain extent against people that are from similar backgrounds or went to a similar school or whatever. Like on so many dimensions. Yeah, so in your application field, it's like you you have no idea. Yeah, grad school is even worse because they're like, you know, they're funneling from like certain schools even, you know. Totally. So if you went to like a competitive undergrad, that pool is lower, but then they're like, we don't want everyone from one school. So it's like... yeah. And, you know, U.S. versus international, like, the job sector that you right. used to work in, like, what you would bring at the table, like, there's so many factors that it's, like, right. you know. Yeah. It's hard to, like, stand out with that. But I try not to think about it. Yes, and I'm you're trying to just fine. try my best. Yes, so. everything happens for a reason. We'll see. You're going to be all right. Yeah. But I think that's great. So my topic... I'm pulling up a visual so I can read. Um, is a New York Times article, and I just thought this was funny. And before I... It's it's about, and before I give you the answers okay. in the New York Times, what the New York Times said, I, I'm very interested in this. What would you consider the age where someone becomes quote-unquote old? Or, like, transitions from middle age to being, like, whatever we want to use. I think senior citizen or, like, elderly is, like, too much, but, like, old is what they use okay. in this survey. I think about this. <laughs> Isn't this so funny? So much. <laughs> Probably more than anybody should. Yeah. But, um. Because I catch myself, and and I hope I'm not the only one, but I catch myself being like, oh, I'm 26, mm-hmm. and even I mean working yeah, I'm with washed kid- up. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Like, oh, like she still got it, folks. <laughs> like, but uh, even working with kids, they're like, oh, you're only 26. Like, you look like you're 21. And I never thought that yeah. I would be that person that would be like taking gratification. Yeah. That, but part of me is like, oh, wow, really? I'm like, aging well. Oh, you guys are the best. You yeah. know what I mean? I'm just like, oh, geez. I mean. But even I look at my parents, my both yeah. both my parents are 59. Uh, just yeah, turned. my parents are around the same yeah. ages. And looking at them, I mean, they're, they're going to be 60. I don't even look at them as being, you know, like old. Yeah. Or even when you hear, my brain just kind of jumps right to this because I'm a psychopath, but it's like, you know, he, this, you know, local hero dies, you know, at 63. And it's like, oh, he was so young. Yeah. And you're like, oh, but what? But when would you not say that? Right, like, exactly. I would have to say, I mean, if I have it's to like really so put tough. a number yeah. to it, I know. It's it's kind of like, 
I know it sounds really stupid, but it's like, it, it does depend on each person, you yeah. know, how you carry yourself through sure, life. Definitely. And there are people that are young at heart, but I mean, yeah. I think Obviously maybe... we're not trying to be ageist. Or... Yes, exactly. But I mean, even like quote unquote middle age people, I wouldn't even consider that to be old. Like yeah. if somebody dropped dead and they were 43, yeah. I would say, holy shit, that yeah, person so was tragic. so young. Yes. I mean, and my grandparents on my mother's side, uh... I, they both died in their 60s, and that I consider to be really young, and then I think about my own mom, who's going to turn 60, and I'm like, oh god, like, you only have a few years left. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, so I mean, probably in the 70s is where I would think like, oh, but they're old, like, what's gonna happen to them? And everyone else, I'm like, you know, you still got time. (laughs) Yeah, like, part of me, like, when I first was thinking about it in the abstract, I was similar. I was like, 65, because that's like, I feel that's when you start getting, like, benefits. Yeah, like, Medicare. Yeah, that's when people start retiring. But then I look at my parents, too, and I'm like, that's only five years away for them. Like, they're going to still be young and with it and everything. But that New York Times article is going to say 35 (laughs) is going to be old, isn't it? So they did it based on age. So millennials, which is us, said... But before I say this, I... And maybe I'm a bit tainted by this because I already read it, but I I said a very similar thing where I was like, I think in your 70s, like 75. Oh my god, I'm like is like so millennials who are in their 20s and 30s said old starts at 59. (gasps) So your parents are going to be like, what? All the youngins think I'm old. Get it together, Um, generation. Which I don't. I was surprised that people in their 30s, like I would be like, okay, maybe someone who's like 20 looks at 59 and is like, that's almost 30 years in the future, whatever. Yeah. But for people in their 30s, I'm like, don't you think you're gonna still be like lively and happening? Like seriously, you know that many years. So, anyways, then Gen Xers, they did it by generation, Generation, I guess. So millennials said 59. Gen Xers who are in their 40s said 65, which I still thought was pretty young yeah but i guess i see it because you're right it is that age where statistically a lot of people retire and and all of that right so there's like markers and then boomer baby boomers and the greatest generation said 73 well they were all very kind of close together i thought that was so interesting maybe i'm just benjamin buttoning it and i'm just like a generation (laughs) no but i i thought so too because when i was in high school i wonder if they had asked like younger kids like kids in like middle school because I remember when I was in middle school and like they would have like college kids like come mentor us and like do a bunch of stuff Mm -hmm. and they were like you know 20 and I thought that they were like ancient and like one one of my friends and he he looks a little bit older but he's like in his mid-20s he's like a a couple years older than I am Mm -hmm. and he um is a teacher at a middle school and he like asked the kids how old they thought he was and they were like 45 yes and he's like 27 and he was like uh like granted he has like a beard but like I remember I I vividly have those memories oh yeah of like teachers that you think are like elderly and then you realize they were like 40 yes totally <laughs> and i'm just maybe so I i'm s- wondering like once you become like a real adult and you're in the workplace with like multi-generations then you start skewing a bit older i think you totally do and i know especially for myself like maybe i just still have that like that childlike exuberance within me but i i look at some of my coworkers who ri- i mean i'm the youngest person at my office right now uh and i see people who are you know, 33, and I thought that they were, like, 
28, you know? And obviously that's not a huge difference, but they're like, oh yeah, I'm in my 30s. And they joke about how old I am. And I'm like, you're a fetus. What are you talking about? And then there's people who are in their 50s and 60s and they have more exuberance and more youth and more energy than most people that I know. Yeah, no, I mean, it truly tells you that age is just a number, but I do think that there is like... I hope this is not the case with, like, my parents and my family members of their generation, but I do think that there can be, like, a precipitous decline, like, a lot of health issues. Like, one of my grandparents also died in her 60s, and, like, I was old enough to kind of remember her passing, Mm -hmm. and she was, like, she had her struggles, but, like, she was kind of fine, like, due to do, and then, like, one day it was kind of, like, a hard left turn, and then I saw her as like an old person like she ended up having to like go into a home and like all this stuff and it's like I remember that and it's just such a sad part of the aging process but then you have some 80 year olds who are like running marathons and I'm like how can I be that person you know I and I never will not drinking hard (laughs) seltzer exactly you know that is so like I think that's I mean I have a great relationship with my parents uh thank goodness but I think that that's probably one of the yeah I'm like not ready for it I've like not mentally prepared. And I, I've been, I've been, I've been around the block a few times and I've seen, you know, the health of people that are really close to me deteriorate really quickly. And, you know, the thought of losing your parent, you know, even when it's someone who's our parents age, you think to yourself like that still, I know the thought just makes you want to choke. (laughs) (laughs) Choking on my heart. On my own sorrow. Um, Yeah. But I mean, just the, the idea that like, you're going to watch your parents deteriorate and and eventually, like, get to a point where they can't do... I mean, my grandparents, you know, my... Where you become the parent. Yeah, and my my grandfather... That totally happens. Yes, you know, he has a hearing aid. Like, he finally, (laughs) after years of suffering through hearing loss, got a hearing aid. And he wouldn't for the longest time. And we used to joke, like, oh, my God, he's such a stubborn stubborn, bastard. But it's like, when you when you lose yeah. such an essential you part get, of yourself on that. exactly and you're or like admit that you're on the losing exactly. end yeah exactly it's so hard oh well on that depressing note <laughs> let's talk let's, about your let's play get that you right wrote. Into it. <laughs> so i'm gonna post in the show notes the great article in the boston globe that yeah um rebecca who also was on the pod yeah. we love her um, who suggests that we talk to you. And I was like, oh, my God, obviously, you and I have only hung out one time before this. But I was like, I had no Freaking idea. Like, cave. all this history is so great. Um, and so I'm wondering if you can just go into kind of high level how that project came about, what what's it about, how it got on stage, totally. and the Boston Globe ended up writing this amazing yeah. piece about it. Oh, man. I It's just so... It, it's such a... To say that I'm grateful, I know it might come across a little, you know, phony, but I'm really just, I can't believe that that happened. It was just such an, an amazing experience. Um, so uh, the town that I grew up in, Wayland, Massachusetts, uh, I uh, I graduated high school in 2010, and uh, my senior year of high school, I was friends with this girl named um, Lauren, uh, and she and I were on the same acapella group together, and became friends over the year uh, that I was there. She was a year younger than me. And uh, in the summer of 2011, on July 4th, uh, she was killed, murdered by her boyfriend. Uh, And they had been on and off for years. And um, 
it basically just sort of deteriorated to the point where he was, you know, very depressed and, and uh, engaging in really self-destructive behavior. And Did you know him? Were you also friends with no, him? No, no, so I much? didn't know him at all. But I remember Lauren sort of saying, you know, oh, you know, Nate is just being so annoying and, you know, he's not going to come to the show and me, you know, trying yeah. to say, oh, yeah, but, you know, it's it'll be okay being kind of, you know, the naive, right, positive person like, that I am. pep up your friends yeah, when yeah. they have kind of a drag. Yeah. And, and, and for me, going into the process of the play, it was... Um, it was the, the, the biggest thing that I wanted to focus on that I was not nearly as close to her as some of her best friends were. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've been in contact with some of those friends. Uh, it it was never something that I wanted to come across as, you know, oh, this, this happened to me. I'm the best friend. Yeah, exactly. I didn't want to. I'm the most important one. Right. I didn't want to uh, take advantage of anyone's sorrow or suffering, and I didn't want to capitalize on anybody's pain. I was very transparent from the beginning that this is, this was someone that I knew and I care, cared about and considered a friend. Um, but in, in no, in no way, shape or form am I trying to, you know, steal from other people's stories. Um, so, so what was the point, like how soon after her passing did you decide, you know, obviously I'm sure you were shocked and yeah, there was a process that got you to wanting to write a play. What was that time period like? Yeah. Uh, so y- you're right to say that it was a shock. I mean, it really, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I should laugh about it, but I, I laugh. No, I can I mean, laugh about it's it now. Cathartic to laugh. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I laugh. No, I mean, it's shocking. Like reading the article, it's like you th- you think you read about this or you yeah. listen to true crime podcasts, and you're like, oh my god, like, yeah, my favorite murder level it stuff, re- which is a comedy podcast, but it's right. Part of why that podcast is so successful is because it's cathartic for people to be like, this is the extraordinarily incredible. Well, that and it's terrible. just like it's so it is very common, which is something I want to touch about because I know that was a big part of the play and your decision to not mention your friend's name specifically and make it a more universal story which I think is really important but you know that so many of these cases are cold cases you don't find out who the people are and so they seem much more extraordinary and so I can't imagine what that was like having it happen it must have been very shocking well I I remember I was I mean I will never forget it I was in Disney World on a vacation with my family and I remember a girl that I was really close with at the time messaging me and saying do you know where she is and I'm thinking no we don't we don't you know text all the time it's not you know your friendship wasn't like that yeah right right and uh and just kind of getting more and more information about you know, this girl has gone missing, uh, and, you know, we're getting updates from the police. They found her car in a lot. They don't know, you know, where she yeah. is and all this stuff. And then finally, I remember getting a hold of my friend and, and just begging her for an answer. Is it her? Is it her? Is yeah. it her? And then finally she said, yeah, yeah, it's her. And I just remember running out of my hotel room and, and f- I mean, it felt like I was having, I know it sounds, you know, everybody says this, but it really yeah. did feel like an out-of-body experience. Like, I felt myself. Yeah, you can't believe it. And yeah. you're in this weird, like, vacation mode, And I'm too. in the happiest yeah. place on earth with all of my family. I'm sure you like, felt a little helpless that you weren't there. Oh, yeah. And I remember just, like, all of my family just, you know, being aware of it yeah. and turning and looking at me run out of the hotel room and just fall to my knees and just sobbing uncontrollably. And even though I wasn't there, you just feel that sense mm-hmm. of, of something being, you know, ripped off from you. Right. And 
I, I mean, I think maybe in some ways it was better that I wasn't there because I was able to just kind of distract myself and only in the quiet moments was I able to really think about it and that's when it would affect mm-hmm. me. Um, but I mean, that sort of discovery in itself was super shocking. And so that was the summer of 2011. And then, you know, I kind of went in and out of focusing on it right. and dwelling on it. And especially the trial that happened as a result oh, yeah. of it happened over the course of the next year and a half. No, it's so crazy how long those it takes. And people don't think about it's it. Crazy. They think, you know, you know, they hear yeah, about like funeral. Okay, we're done. Right. And yeah. and we, we actually ended up our acapella group going to her, um, her funeral. Well, a memorial for mm-hmm. her, I should say. And, singing for her and you know it's funny we talk yeah yeah it's very nice but you know it's funny we talk about watching us you know have our parents sort of deteriorate I mean the worst thing a parent can do I'm sure is to bury their child and you know just seeing her parents just lose it like Mm -hmm. that was uh, the worst yeah Uh, I'm sure that was one of the hardest parts it seriously was seeing it through their eyes and their perspective yeah, so I think that was the last time that, that I really was um, was kind of in it. Yeah. Because then I went to college, and like any sort of grief, and I talk about this in the play, it, it has its, its, its ups and downs. It has yeah. its moments where you feel totally fine, and, you know, you, you feel removed from it, especially traumatic grief, because right. I think that's different. You know, all grief and all feelings are valid, but having your, a friend murdered is different than a breakup, you know, Definitely. or e- even to some degree, the loss of, of something, you know, right. a loss of a grandparent. This is something that's, that's violent and, and, and right. intentional. Mm-hmm. And, and having it play out for that long. Yeah. And, and there being like and it's media re- attention. Exactly. And, and, kind of and it's sort of the unfairness of it that really right. gets to you. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's one thing if, you know, oh, she, she had cancer or, you know, she was in a car accident or something, yeah. but somebody, you know, premeditatively made a choice choice to kill her. And we should say he was convicted. He was, yeah. yeah. He's he's in prison for life, yeah. Um, And it's actually, I I catch myself, but it's actually a conscious effort that I've made to say that she was murdered, not Mm -hmm. that she was killed. Mm. I think that's a really important... That's interesting. Can you speak more to that of the distinction between the two? So I think, you know, you you could be killed by an oncoming vehicle... And whether that driver was... Yeah. Or an accident, falling down, hitting your head. Exactly. You know, killed in a lightning storm or, you know, killed in a freak accident, something like this. Murder is uh, a very, very different animal. Mm -hmm. And it is animalistic and it's... Yeah. And we should say for people that are reading the article too, we won't go into too much details, but she, you know... Maybe we should put a little bit of a, a warning on it. Oh, yes. Because it, that article that. does go into a lot of details, and her death was very violent and very gruesome. Yeah. And I think there is some merit in highlighting that so that people are aware, and we don't want to, totally. like, sugarcoat it, but also obviously respectful of the fact that not everyone has a constitution or has had violent things happen to them or to someone to th- that they yeah. love, so maybe you want to skip that part of the article. Definitely, for sure. And um, one thing I'll, I'll love to get back to at the end is... Uh, uh, for more information, you can go to the Lauren Dunn Astley Memorial Fund or even the One Love Foundation. They're great organizations yeah. that have dedicated their mission to 
promoting youth especially on the importance of healthy relationships yes uh so definitely definitely it's so scary it's definitely very very scary and if you or you know someone close to you that might be going through this i would really encourage you to go to those resources because they're really really helpful i think it's a big under talked about topic before we move back to talking about your experience with the play and everything but Mm -hmm. that you know one of the number one looking at something tangential but related like gun violence for example women are the most likely to be killed by a partner Mm, or murdered by a partner yeah an intimate partner so intimate partner violence i think we have an image in our mind of you know the battered woman which is terrible but sure she's alive i think it's harder to wrap your mind around women that are killed by an abuser yeah and also figuring out those signs that aren't as apparent you know i mean not having a bruise on your face doesn't necessarily mean that you aren't suffering in some way um and and we delve into that a lot in the play as well of finding those things that at the time anyone could have just sort of glossed over but having that hindsight's always 20 20 Mm -hmm. so looking back on it you think oh wow no this was really not okay behavior um okay so back to the story so you're in college i'm in college you're living your life yep yep and uh you know the trial's happening throughout and uh, you know, he was finally convicted a Did couple of years later. Did you go back for any of it, or you were kind of watching it from afar? Watching and it from afar, getting updates definitely. And, things, yeah. um, and, I mean, it was definitely something that other girls that were on that same acapella group as me, you know, would talk about every now mm-hmm. and then. And, you know, we it definitely united us. And, and I think that's true of any group of people that go through a very traumatic event, sure, yeah. that it's always going to be something that no matter how much time has gone by, always sort of unites you in a very sad way. Yeah. Um, but college rolls around and we have to do a final capstone project for my theater major. I was an acting major. And you could choose to do either a play of your own your own choice and, you know, an Arthur Miller or Shakespeare or whatever and mm-hmm. write a 15-page paper on it. And I didn't mm. want to do that. So, <laughs> that sounds like a lot. <laughs> yeah, I was done writing no. papers at this time. So... I or you the other choice was to write your own piece you didn't have Sounds to do way better paper. yeah I was like I'm gonna do that, that very one. different yeah exactly and I remember that summer going into my senior year just sitting at my desk in my room and almost sort of subconsciously saying oh no that feels like the right thing mm-hmm. to do uh not even that I was on a crusade of right. anything it was just Oh no, I could I could write something about that. I could definitely touch upon that. And and I want to say within the course of a month, maybe two, I just it all just sort of yeah. flowed out and um it's called the five stages and exploration of grief and basically it it tells it's based on the story of my friend's murder and how someone who loses a friend goes through that experience and and the and there's some um, speculation about, you know, the five stages of grief, especially because they follow a very linear procedure. Mm-hmm. You know, you have denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and then acceptance. And some argue that those things don't happen right, right after the other. Uh, and we touch upon yeah. that briefly in the play. Where you that can return to a stage that you exactly. thought you were past at some point. Yeah. yeah. And 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 the I think the most important thing is that when you hit that stage of acceptance that doesn't necessarily mean that it's cured right or that it's over it means that you're you're finding a place for yourself 
in this world where that's still very much a part of your world mm-hmm. and how you you reckon with that, you know, and, and finding a way to to look at it not as entrenched in it, if that makes yeah. sense. So um, when you were writing the play, do you feel like you were at that acceptance stage or you were kind of in the midst of the others? Or It's really funny because when I was writing it, it almost felt like I was on autopilot. I was just like, oh, got to get this assignment done yeah, and I'm writing like it and I'm banging looking, it out. Yeah, I'm looking at it much more as a director and, mm-hmm. and thinking about, you know, the story I want to tell yeah. and the devices that I can use. And of course, it was very transparent with my cast in college um, about the circumstances behind it and why I wanted to tell this story. Yeah. Um, Did you reach out to the family or anything like that? I didn't. I was very very nervous too yeah uh, especially because it had only been three years right and I mean not that of pain like that ever goes right. away but I also felt a little bit I guess shame and embarrassment because I wasn't her best friend and and I didn't want to make it seem like although there might be an element of it that is slightly biogra- autobiographical for sure, lack of a yeah. better term you know I wasn't her closest friend mm-hmm. in the universe and I accept that but I, I didn't want it to seem like I was capitalizing yeah. on that while the wounds were still fresh. So I, I didn't. And and I I felt bad about it, but I felt more embarrassed to come out and, and say so. I'm sure looking back on it, they would have accepted it with open arms, which they did yeah. for when the play actually happened in New York. But when, you know, the curtain rises the first night, I'm just uncontrollably right. sobbing from... And there was two performances of it. I mean, from the start to the finish, it really was my opportunity to uh, express myself and get all of that pent up feeling yeah. that was stored Was it like a cathartic me. feeling or like a, a, an afraid feeling? No, definitely cathartic. And I think just, you know, I'm watching it unfold and everything kind of just washes over you again because yeah. in well, the theater p- is so visceral too. You're seeing real people. Definitely. And- Definitely. Compared to reading a book or yeah, whatever. And, and I think it's such it's much more of a more powerful medium. And we got very, even though, like you said, we I made the intention to not name mm-hmm. um, this this person uh, in the story. She's referred to as the girl, and we have a line that says, you know, keeping her nameless doesn't pinpoint it to any one person. So it's not just Lauren's story. Mm-hmm. It's not just the girl in the yellow dresses story. Right. It's this could happen to anybody, man, woman, trans man, trans woman, whoever it is, mm-hmm. it could be anybody. Totally. And, and I wanted to keep that really, really um, apparent within the show. But the circumstances are borrowed from Lauren's story. Yeah. And so to hear all of these things again and again, when I finally have the appropriate way to deal with it, really was that chance to finally get that last good big cry out yeah. if that makes sense you know it's like yeah. no longer you're sitting and everything's okay and then it pops into the back of your mind and you're like oh, yeah damn. like you feel like you felt the emotions yeah I felt like it it it, it, it yeah. came out of I think me. that's important for a lot of people and yourself being an artist I'm sure like being an acting major I had friends at NYU that were acting majors it's yeah. like opening the wound up every day they're like yeah. draw upon your past experience so you feel, you get very good I think at feeling those feelings but there's other people like that don't do that professionally or have never been to therapy or you know and they yeah. are just like all right I've been to the funeral I'm 
I'm good. I'm washing my hands of it. I'm moving on. Like, that's what a strong person does. And it's, I think, so destructive to not find an outlet. And obviously, there are are more appropriate ways than others. And art is one way that's not for everyone. But you have to find something. You have to find a person or a therapist or an art form or something. You have to find something. I think that that's universal. 100%. So you did this show for your thesis and then... It took and off. got an A. Amazing. <laughs> Thank God. Just wanted everyone to be clear. Um, so how did you take it to that next level of doing it in a more professional setting? So I came to New York and really wasn't doing much theater, I think, just out of my own fear, doubt, and insecurity. And then this past year, I really wanted to get back into that. And I also missed directing, and, and I hadn't done a lot of that since I was... Uh, was in college really and I just decided you know in in the art world they say if you want the work you have to make the work and it's so true you have to create those opportunities for yourself like you with this podcast this is your you know way to express (laughs) shout out um you know you have to find Mm -hmm. those things that make you creatively and spiritually and emotionally fulfilled and I said you know what if if ever there was a time to do it now would be it And, and what an easy medium to just kind of slide this one in and just kind of see what yeah. sticks. I'm not starting from rock bottom. I already mm-hmm. have something that I feel that I could do and do well and right. that's good and that I would have to direct because it's it's a personal story right. for me. So I, I invited a bunch of friends over and we had a Trader Joe's catered party. Shout out Trader <laughs> Joe's. And we just sat around and read it and I got feedback from friends about what they thought and it eventually got to the point where me and some friends just decided to take on these roles to to put it on its feet and this time I knew well if it's going to be in New York and I'm going to be inviting not just the people in my classes and my parents I should definitely reach out because now this is a much more uh, intense professional setting so I to the family you mean yes yes thank you for clarifying uh so I I called her father and I introduced myself and I, I had that conversation with him um, and her mother as well. And it really, it, it's really astounding just to, to see and hear and know how open and, and, and welcoming they were about it. I mean, I sent them the script and the script does borrow from her actual, um, guess autopsy you know Mm -hmm. the the details of her murder right so in my mind I'm like oh my god I'm making them read yeah like super triggering and it's like uh. and they said this is so powerful and we're so thankful that you're writing something like this I they had my back and they had I had their blessing a hundred percent and this is kind of Udi I'll I'll mention (laughs) this for anyone that's like super into the supernatural super spiritual oh my god I'm obsessed here we go yeah so I was super scared about what her her parents were going to think. Yeah. I got their blessing, which at the end if of the day... If they had said no, would you have not done it? Or? No, I, not at all. Yeah. No, no, no. Because, you know, how could I? Yeah. You know, if their parents, if the parents say that. Right. Um, and, but I was, all, I was very transparent with them, them, with them as well of saying, you know, I was not your daughter's closest mm-hmm. friend. You obviously know that. Yeah. Um, I knew her. I loved her. She was someone I considered a friend. I want to be open with that. And, you know, even her parents were kind of like in their own very sweet, eloquent yeah. way, like, calm down. You're fine. Like, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm it's sure you were really nervous. You're, you're like cold calling yes, these people after exactly. a long time. 
And uh, he said, you know, I can reach out to her friends if you want to. And I was like, I'd rather they just not know I exist. If that's all the same to you. But <laughs> yeah, or if uh, they find out about it organically, that's fine. Right, you know? exactly. Uh, they two of them actually ended up coming to uh, the premiere, which was incredible. Yeah. But I I had a dream halfway through the process where uh, I was in a room and heard dad and some of her friends were walking out of the the room and they were looking back to say like hey are you coming what's going on and she was there and she just looked me in the eyes and just had this look of like like I see you and I hear you I know you and she gave me a hug and I woke up and I was like that's That's amazing that's for giving me permission that's what that is and it, I mean, like I get That's goosebumps. Amazing. Just I'm getting goosebumps. About, thinking about I know, it. right? And I was ah, just like, "Oh my god!" I know. Um, oh my gosh! So I get her. You know, her parents involved, and her parents are the uh, are board members of the Lauren Dunn Astley Memorial Foundation. Mm-hmm. They have uh, a mini grant that they give out every year for uh, because Lauren was a big lover of the arts. She was, uh, you know, in marching band for a little bit, and then she also loved theater and then acapella, of course, and. Uh, they give mini grants to uh, organizations or projects that are arts-based or work with the community or work on educating youth. And so we kind of ticked off every box. I applied for the grant. We got it. They gave us a donation of $2,000, which was amazing. Yeah, that's great. And and he put us in touch with a friend of a friend of a friend that he knew at the Boston Globe. Uh, And, you know... I guess to me, it's still hard to even wrap my brain around that that happened and that's a thing that can happen because in my mind, I'm like, oh, this is just, you know, who you know. Right. But I mean, they could have not taken the story. They could have said like, oh, we wrote about this already, you know, seven-ish years ago, whatever. And the the writer calls me and then they had someone come and take photos of the cast and and the rehearsal process and uh, it just... it's crazy. It's yeah. crazy to just do anything that's sort of like press related and right. then to say, you know, your feet becomes in. very real. Yes. You're like, ah, def- now people are going to see it. Yeah. I you're like, really oh, this do is it. what fame is like. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. Like, yeah. It's really it's a little it, taste. Yes, exactly. It's a hard thing to handle. Um, so we get the play on its feet premiered um, in uh, early April. We had three performances. Uh, and they were all really received really well. Both of her parents came. Her her mom and her aunt came to uh, the the dress rehearsal, and that was I think probably the hardest part about it was, you know, the mom sitting there. The yeah. mom is a lovely woman, and the mom just said, "Could you get me um, water and tissues?" Aww. And I'm like biting <laughs> You're my like, fingers. Anything like, you want? Anything you want? I'm so sorry. You know. So I'm like, yeah. oh my god. But you know, I think as much as I was worried about the the friends and and what they would Mm -hmm. feel because, you know, if some, if my best friend was murdered and then someone wanted to tell a story about hers as a person, I'd be lying if I said I wouldn't have initial reaction of like, who the hell are you to tell my friend's story and tell my story? Um, Because maybe I'm just selfish like that. But uh, the mom said, you know, thank you so much. I mean, when you get the parents' blessing, that's like yeah. really it, you know. Mm-hmm. And when I talked to the friends after when they came to opening night, they said you you really got it right. You you yeah. nailed it. Like I really felt like. Well, it you sounds were like it was very authentic, and you weren't you weren't telling someone else's story, but you were telling your own story, and then a universal aspect of it. Yeah, you know, I think it would have been disingenuous if you made it like you said 
about, you know, your friendship being so close with her, like your best friendship or something like that. But you focused on these tenants that I think everyone can relate to. But then with that, because you were maybe a little bit farther removed, it makes it more universal, I think, for a broader audience. Yeah. And that really was the goal. Like I said, like not making it Lauren's story, even though it was inspired by it, making it as transferable and universal and tangible as possible Mm -hmm. so audiences can see it. I mean, I remember doing it in college and one of my professors saying, I have two friends who've just lost their husbands for natural causes, but they're widows now. They would really benefit from seeing something like this. And and that meant so much to me because I think it is hard for us to wrap our brains around something so traumatic like you said we you know mm-hmm. we watch law and order svu or we right. you know you can be more distant yeah yeah or you have these cold cases where you're you know you're just eating your snack on the couch and you're like oh wow that guy or you know this person or whatever but when it happens to you it's a completely different experience and being able to communicate that with a larger audience i think is just so important especially for uh for young people yeah. You know, I mean, she was 18 years old, I think, when she was killed and or when she was murdered. And, and, you know, she was going to school and had her whole life ahead of her. And so did he. Yeah. Um, and that's actually a really remarkable thing that in the in the trial itself, when he was sentenced, um, her dad went over to his parents and hugged them. And that is just like if yeah. that doesn't break your heart and they, you know, reporters asked him, why did you why did you? hug your your girlfriend's you know you know yeah killer's parents and he said well we both lost children today and it's just like man you know you go through life like that like it's true kind of mentality it's insane no i mean it's horrible i'm sure like did you was there any sort of contact or reach out from like his side no or about it no not at all i mean i i can't imagine that they want any sort of, yeah, you know, exposure. Um, I mean, I just feel like I would go into complete hiding. Yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah, what you would do. But it's pretty. It, it is that I will say the incredible thing about the Globe article was that it it did have people from the community of of Wayland mm-hmm. reaching out in in such a profound way. People that I knew, people that right. I didn't know. Uh, you know, we were featured on radio stations in the local town and people just saying you know I'm so glad that you're doing something about this and you know you're writing about that experience especially girls that that knew her as well and and knew her in a more distant way Mm -hmm. as well Mm -hmm. and and just saying you know this is so important what you're doing and we're you know we're so thankful and so proud and you know I know it sounds like such a you know kiss uppy kind of answer but that (laughs) really is the biggest thing is like I, I don't need a Globe article. Yeah. I don't need anything like that. If I know that her parents are okay mm-hmm. and, and approve of what I did, then that's the best thing that I could ever ask for. Yeah. I think that's great. Have you ever thought about producing it again outside of those three shows? Or? Well, that's kind of what we're working on now. That's sort of the next step. Um, there's a I've been contacted by uh, NPR in Boston, Ooh. which is really exciting. Your next yeah. podcast. Now you can say, like, this is not my podcast. Yeah. Year. This is I've my second my, podcast. Uh, my first exposure <laughs> already, so... Sloppy seconds yeah. in PR. Um, there's a, a, a woman, actually, this is pretty uh, amazing. She 
bought a ticket for one of the shows and nobody could account for her. She was randomly. She yeah, wasn't like wasn't anyone's friend. coworker, friend, a colleague, nothing, because she was on. Uh, her friend was on like a women's retreat and was reading the Globe article oh. and sent it to her and said you have to read this and you have to go see this play. Interesting. She went and saw it and came up to me afterwards and said, like, I want to meet with you. I want to figure out how to make this yeah. more. A bigger thing. Exactly. Yeah. So it's kind of like... amazing. Yeah, life has like, those synchronicity yeah. guardian angel moments. Uh, and so I've been meeting with her and she uh, works with an organization called um, uh, Motherless Daughters. I hope I'm getting that name right. I'm so sorry. Somebody fact check me. But... Uh, it's basically an organization for women who have lost their moms at a really young age, and, and she is in that same boat. And she said, I think that this could really be a powerful yeah. thing for them as well. So we're in the process right now of trying to put that up as well. Uh, and she, she she jokes, like, I'm one of the prominent members of the New York grief community. So she has all of these ties. <laughs> oh, my God, of, you yeah. Know, you don't think do. about, like, all of these different communities in ways, like, obviously a traditional theater setting, but doing, like turning it into a workshop or a, yeah. a book or something that's a little bit more digestible that you could give to different audiences. And that's, would be really interesting. that's, I think is my long-term goal. We had briefly talked about the idea of touring with it, but I think at the end of the day, this is not my magnum opus. Yeah. You know, there's a lot more that I want to do, right. but I want to still give back in the way that was given to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, my, my hope is to eventually have it, uh, licensed out. So that we can oh, yeah. give it so to schools, could do it schools and, things, yeah. and and different local you know theater communities uh, schools especially I think would be. Do you think is that hard for you just because it's such a personal story or do you feel like at this point you would be okay giving it to another director or something it, like that? It's funny you say that because when I was doing it in New York, all I could think about was oh my god I'm gonna feel exactly what it was I was feeling you know, in, yeah, in college. Like where, right back there. Yeah, yeah. where it was just the waterworks constantly uh, throughout the performances. Mm-hmm. But that really, that was really few and far between. Like grief in any way, shape, and form, every now and then right. you have those moments where it just kind of turns on for yeah. you. And it doesn't matter where you are or what you're right. doing, and it just kind of stops you in your tracks. But this time really wasn't like that. And I think it, it it's indicative of where I was then, right. where I am now, and how I've sort of dealt with it right. um, in my own way. And so for me, I think it's just more important that that story gets told. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Lauren's parents, God bless them, have dedicated their lives to now enriching other people about this story and, and about the dangers of unhealthy, um, unconsensual relationships and, and finding a way to educate people yeah can you talk a little bit more about their foundation i know you mentioned it but like yeah what kind of stuff like do they do fundraisers like do they have different pillars like yeah definitely so it's the lauren dunn d-u-n-n-e astley uh, memorial fund you can google it and it tells a little bit more about her story and about who she was and uh they they have done fundraisers in the past to kind of garnish attention and uh, they do a lot of community outreach and doing workshops. They were featured on, I think it was an ABC documentary uh, called Love to Death, and it talked about mm-hmm. her story. I know, very, like, prominent, happy title. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You're like, love oh, God. Love to Death. Uh, yeah. You're like, was it love? Maybe not. You're right. That's also kind of, I think, when yeah. you go through something traumatic. I feel like it's a little traumatic, bit, like, it's a little on the nose. too. Yeah. I feel like women that are the victims of domestic violence and 
the ones that ultimately get murdered even more. So it's like this kind of like and especially cat having and mouse movie. like sexy sort of like yeah. love gone wrong, it, yeah, which is yeah. kind of gross. When you it's kind of like that show Snapped, where it's like she loves Troy, and then it's like, but everything changed yeah. like that night, and it's like okay, uh, well, like, but it's like, have... did it change? I think yeah. that's also something I'm not as intimately familiar with the case, but it sounds like although it was shocking what happened, there were warning signs along the way. And obviously if he was convicted of murder, like it wasn't, it wasn't like an insanity thing where he was like so out of his mind. Like it was, well, an that's what they thing. tried to defend sure, actually. The, his defense team, he was a football player and the defense team tried to say that he had just taken one too many hits to the head. Uh, which, yeah. you know, I mean, it's the like, audience it's can't see my eye roll. <laughs> right. Exactly. But we, we can play. hear it. Honey. Um, but I think it's it's uh, it's less about you know I mean yes there there were warning signs but I think it's obviously hard when you're in that situation right. to actually see them I think that's true of any yeah. relationship but it's maybe like, like bystanders which oh for could sure. help with your play like sometimes yeah. when you're a little bit more far removed like being the friend or totally something like that I think the the thing for me though it, that really um, kind of focuses my attention with those kind of things like the you know love to death yeah. it's like even even having some media attention myself and kind of seeing the media that's been put upon her parents, it's like you look at a newspaper article and it's like they've positioned them both on the couch with a photo next yeah. to their daughter. And it's like, okay, you know, we're right. already talking about something that is so horrific yeah. and atrocious. And I know everybody has a job to mm-hmm. do as a journalist, as a photographer, whatever, but there's, I don't know, there's something kind of icky about you know, putting them back into that very vulnerable situation in an already very vulnerable place, you know? There was a local newspaper that had a blown up photo of her and the dad is just holding it. And I'm like, really? Yeah. Like, that's that's the the, best you could do. That's the best you could do and that's what we want, you know? And it's like, you know, play about local friends who were slain to death. And I'm like, fuck, man. Like, slain? Jesus Christ. Like, what is this? A fucking video. No, game? I actually like, thought the Globe article was good from like a headline perspective. Definitely actually. was. It definitely was, and I I really appreciate because it. it really centered the parents. I thought and their yeah. story and, in and a nice way, and it wasn't much. so much like the other thing that I bothers me about those cases. And um, you know, my family recently went through something not the same but similar. Like uh, one of my brother's friends was he went kayaking and he was in a kayaking accident. And was missing for a while. So, like, it was a lot of similar things, I think, to what we're talking yeah. about. And there's a tendency to be like, this person had no flaws and they've never done anything bad in their life. And, like, everything is right. great and, like, hunky-dory. And it's right. like, obviously, you want to be respectful of the memory, but also it's like, everyone's a human. Like, yeah. we don't need, you know, yeah. I don't know. Like, there, there, there's a respectful way to, like, be like, this was a full person with human emotions totally. and strengths and weaknesses. Totally. And we don't need to, like, do this fake, like... Yeah, exactly. They were perfect. You know, I don't know. So there's a little bit of that, too, where I'm like, Yeah, it's like, you know, they had a perfect relationship. Like, "Mm, they they really didn't, though. That's why we're in the situation. Yeah, and I think it helps people. I I think it does a disservice to people that are grieving, too, because if you're like, oh, well, if everyone thought that this person was one way and I saw them as a a different way or I had a different experience or I wasn't there when this memory happened, it makes your grief seem less important or different from everyone else. You're like, oh, I'm the only one from this friend group and all these other friend groups saw her one way, but then she yeah. was actually this way to me. Like, it just becomes this weird thing, especially with a young person when it's like the oh, whole definitely. community. 
totally. is around it and like people are coming out of the woodwork and it's just like overwhelming. Yeah. And that again goes back to why I didn't want it to seem like I was, you know, crawling out of this hole right. being like, oh, and I knew her from yeah. the beginning. We were best friends. Like I was very right. honest from even in the Globe article I say, you know, yeah. I want to be clear, yeah. <laughs> you know, waving the white right. flag here, you know, this is not what the story is about. Like this is the story that yeah. I'm trying to tell. Is there anything about grief specifically maybe that you talk about in the show or even from your own experience that you wish people knew or things that helped you like when you were going through this experience? Good question. Um, you came prepared. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say similar to what I was saying earlier is that it's okay to never fully stop grieving and, and like I said, acceptance doesn't mean that it's one and done mm-hmm. and that it's over and you've moved on. Um, I think there's a difference between moving on and then moving forward. Right. You're moving forward with it. You're not moving on from mm-hmm. it. You're And I talk about it in the play. You're just getting yourself to a place of okay. And yes, there's going to be times where you you think about it and it, it breaks you down, whether that's alone in your room or you're in a grocery store aisle and all of a sudden it just hits you in this overwhelming flood. But just for every time that that happens, there's going to be times where you find little things that will make you smile and laugh right. again. All these things that, especially when something that traumatic happens to you, you think, well, how can I ever go back to the way things were and not have this constantly at the back of my brain? Uh, and then it makes it all the more remarkable when you do belly laugh so hard for the first time or you just have this ear to ear grin and yeah. you think, oh, my gosh, wow, like this is this is possible. Um, and I think especially with, uh, you know, if we're talking about the different stages, yeah. you know, anger, I think, is an interesting one because it's really the I talk about it in the play. It's the stage where we're most used to managing so, you know, you, everybody knows how to get angry. Everybody yeah. knows how to, you know, yell at another person. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, they say you always take the frustrations out on the ones you love. And, and it's really true. And it's really just beneath all that anger is just pain and fear. And those things that, like we were talking about before, you know, you don't want to deal with. So you, you push to the bottom of the closet and you focus on other things. You focus your attention on the anger and the injustice of it all and the rage and or things that you feel like you can fix i feel like a lot of people with grief they think that i think people misinterpret what you said before where it never goes away yeah it gets better and so because people kind of resign themselves to the fact like oh well it's never going to go away so therefore i'm not gonna go to therapy or i'm not going to talk to anyone about it because like whatever i'm just resigned to like this miserable life and i'm just gonna be better forever like some people turn in that avenue where they're just like kind of nihilistic about it like meh, the world's a terrible place. Yeah. It's never going to get better. I'm always going to be upset, so, like, might as well just embrace it. And, Definitely. Like, that's that, not super great either. No. That's why it's always astounding to me when you, you see people that have gone through a really traumatic event. I mean, like, think about, yeah. you know, someone that's gone through the Holocaust. Uh, you know, a, a really good friend of right. mine, her grandfather survived Auschwitz and was actually, when she was telling me about it, one of the few people that I knew that was very um angry about it and openly and and he was angry he was angry yeah her grandfather Mm -hmm. and just kind of coming out and saying you know who are all these other people that are you know forgiving their 
their abusers and, you know, like, I'm mad as hell yeah. and I deserve to be and I'm going to live the rest of mm-hmm. my life angry. And, it, yeah. it, you know, I really, mean, anger serves a purpose in some situations. For, for sure. sure. But I, I, again, going back to but the But it play, doesn't make you happy, certainly. No. And, it doesn't and, make you content with life. No. And at the end of the day, it's just what you're projecting from something deeper inside right. yourself. It's that fear. It's that pain. It's that... Uh, resistance towards change and dealing with other things and that's why it's always astounding to me to people who go through such terrible terrible things and are able to come out on the other Mm -hmm. side and you know and smile and be happy because there were certainly times and not that I'm comparing my my grief and my trauma to somebody else's but there were times where I thought how am I ever not going to think about this without sobbing because if if you let yourself think about it too much, you definitely get to that point where you're like, this is so unfair. Yeah. And and it really you just really have to yeah, kind of wear it like a backpack yeah. and just know, yeah, like this is a part of me and it's a part of my yeah. story and it shaped me into who I am. I can't whitewash that part of me away. I have to hold on to that and and use whatever I can to learn from that experience. And, and know that it's going to be with me all the time yeah. and that's okay. And I'm just working on getting myself to a place of okay so that I can move forward with my life and, and just do the best that I can with what I've got. Yeah. I think that's great. So before we go into our rapid fire questions, <gasps> what is next on the horizon for you? I know you said that this is not your magnum opus, but yeah. obviously still moving forward with it in some capacity. So we'll look forward to that. But what are other sort of passion projects that you're working on um yeah so that's a that's a big one like i said we're working with the motherless daughters organization i promise you i'm getting that name <laughs> wrong and it's really bothering me that's okay you I'm can always so text sorry. us and we can put the okay, right thing good. in the show notes no <laughs> worries i was like oh that's not something you want to get yeah. wrong um we're going to be working with them and and working with uh, other organizations to see how we can uh you know better service communities around us especially communities focused on grief uh and I'm, I'm still working closely with her parents to find more transferable ways to get this story out through different communities especially for Wayland um and I'm hoping again that I can license it out to high schools especially and, and use it perhaps to be paired with a um uh, you know, um, applied theater workshops so right. that they can work like a with discussion students. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So kids can actually walk away with it. And I was lucky enough since I work with teenagers to have some of the kids that I work with come and see it. Bless their little angel hearts. <laughs> and they came and they were really struck by it. So I, I'm hoping that if, you know, we can even get to just a few people, it will really make a difference. Yeah, definitely. I agree. I think that's awesome. Thank, Thank you, you so much for sharing that so openly. I know it's hard to talk about and it's something no, especially it's for this podcast talk we talk about a lot of light topics yeah but I'm sorry I feel for like everyone the, listening no that was like, I was gonna say just, I feel like our our you know quote-unquote darker topics are always yeah really good and well received and I think it's important conversations and I'm really glad I have this platform to bring people on and yeah, thank you. it's a comfortable setting to talk about so before we end okay. we always end our episodes doing some rapid fire questions I am so excited yeah so no stress, just like whatever okay. comes to mind. Okay. Some people Shaking get like real, real stu- stuck in it, um, <laughs> just to you know get to know you better and all yeah. that stuff. Uh, favorite book? Uh, okay, uh, White Oleander, 
which it, it was made into a movie. This is not going to be rapid fire. I'm so no, it's okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Did you want elaborate answer questions? Oh, you can explain it. Yeah. So White Oleander, uh, it's a book that I read uh, probably like once every few years or so. Um, it's about a girl whose mother um, catches her boyfriend cheating on her and she shoots him. She goes to prison and then the daughter goes through the uh, foster care system and just her whole trial and tribulation that she goes through with that. It was made into a movie with uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and Renee Zellweger. Highly recommend. It's great. I'm also currently reading a 12 book series called The Wheel of Time mm. that my friend turned me on to. It's the series that inspired Game of Thrones. Oh, okay. So cool. I'm on book four. <laughs> so oh, no, five. More? Yes. I'm making moves. Almost halfway there. I'm almost there. Yeah. Uh, so right now I'm, I'm like entrenched in that. And then eventually I'll be able to like read actually something else and not be in a dream world of magic yes <laughs> favorite movie oh god i have a whole or a favorite i have a whole list Should she's I? reaching for the phone uh, sure yeah, so many ca- i have a whole no, list totally because i'm a major cinephile and yeah. so every time somebody asks me i know it's it, so hard i'm like i have like 10 um yeah because as soon like as you list 10. one you're like oh and then you know this They're one fun. um Okay, so definitely The Wizard of Oz. That was my grandmother's favorite movie. Um, but here we go. We've got a lot here. <laughs> Hang on. Oh, and uh, Ever After. Do you know oh, movie yeah. With Drew Barrymore? Mm-hmm. Yes. The funny thing is, is that her name is Danielle. Her mother's name was Nicole. And her, the Spanish princess that the prince has to marry at the end, but then he doesn't end up, spoiler alert, her name was Gabrielle. And those are me and my sister's names. Oh. What? Coincidence? Ru- I think not. <laughs> but this one, okay. Holes. Oh, yeah. A Solid classic. ass movie. American Beauty, mm. maybe minus Kevin Spacey now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dead Poet Society, uh, rest yes. in peace, Robin Williams. In Bruges, great mm. movie, Colin Farrell. Midnight in Paris. And now I'm picking like, like, all these I terribly. Like, I know. I know, it's hard. So unfortunate. Singing in the Rain, Wizard of Oz, Stand By Me, The Sandlot, Shakespeare in Love, Pan's Labyrinth, Harold and Maud, The Princess Bride, That Thing You Do. Roma mm-hmm. and to Wong Fu, thanks for everything. Love Julie Newmar. It's a drag movie. Those are good. Those, Those are, are very. Di- I like that they're all like different genres and different Thank time you. periods. I'm sorry that I had to That's just go good. through that whole. No, there were a lot of list. my favorites on there too. Good, I'm so glad. I'm the same way. Like uh, there, are, yeah. Like there are some where it's like I watched it. Like you ever feel like you watch a movie and it's like you watched it at the right time of life. Yeah. Like you feel like if you watched it like five years before, or like five years after, it like wouldn't yes. resonate. So like there are totally. some movies like that where like when I watched it at the time, I was like, "This is the most important thing to me." And then yes. I watch it now, and I'm like, "That movie is trash." Yes, but like but it's, it's still, still my favorite place in my heart. Forever. Yeah. Um. So there's a lot like that, but then I feel like we're living in this like cinematic and like TV boom, which goes to my For next question: real, yes. favorite TV show. There's just so much to choose from. I know. There's so many. Oh, geez. Uh, I love Deadwood. That was. Oh, a- yeah. It's coming back, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it came back with a movie. Uh, but, but they're doing I, like a thing, right? I think they're doing a part two, yeah. which I was very curious about because like they ended the first one in a way that I was like, okay, and next point. Yeah. Here we go. Um, oh, my gosh. I also just watch way too much TV. So I should have. What's an like something that you're watching right now? Is there anything right you're like binging? Right now, I'm. I just finished Big Little Lies. Oh yes, same. Great. Good. Meryl Streep. Then. It was very a short season, but I feel like because it was kind of like one storyline, it was a good amount of time. Yes. Meryl Streep, the acting. I know she's like amazing, 
but like this particular performance isn't she just unbelievable was incredible like i felt like i wasn't watching meryl streep like that was you one of gave the... her false teeth and a wig yeah and that was, that was it, it. <laughs> i'm like meryl yeah God. i was like i forgot sometimes that i was watching meryl streep yes which is the sign of the best type of actor i think yes it totally is she's insane and I yeah want, is that I, show coming back me, for I a third season she's have they like insane. announced it i think that they are because yeah. they left it on such a cliffhanger i was like I they have to. big little eyes yeah uh that's what i just finished and i'm finishing uh the handmaid's tale oh yeah as well because mm-hmm. you know i hate myself but it's fine yeah <laughs> some nice <laughs> i just want upbeat, really depressing stuff all the time stuff. clearly i promise i'm a well, positive person in real life no we love it i know danielle's so fun which is why when rebecca told me about <laughs> this play that you wrote i was like oh my gosh it makes no sense so dark no i was just like wow i had no idea yeah, yeah, yeah. um favorite place you visited but never lived Ooh. what do you denote as live though like, like not you had studying like, abroad. Like, not in, like, an Airbnb or, like, a hotel. Like, you had, like, a, a, an address and you lived there. Oh, got you. Uh, so, like, not college, because, like, obviously that's Okay. Temporary. Well, I, I studied abroad in London for six months, and that was pretty I also amazing. studied abroad in London. Did you? Yeah. Oh, my God. Where did you go? I was in, like, the Bloomsbury. NYU has, like, a campus there. Oh, word. But I was near, like, UCL. Oh, my God. I yeah. was right near. We were at Regents College. Oh, okay. Now, yeah. Regents University. Outside of Camden, so yeah. great! Oh my god, I love London. Yeah, so much. that was an amazing time. Yes. I loved it as well. I actually last summer went to Cuba, oh. and that was pretty cool. Uh, we didn't stay. Uh, uh, the person I was with at the time, we didn't stay in hotels or Airbnbs. They call them um, casas particulares, and they're basically strangers' homes. So you go to one person's home, and they rent it out like an Airbnb. Okay. But then you say, hey, we're going to be, you know, in Havana tomorrow for the next three days. Can you help us find somebody? And they'll be like, okay. And they just make a call, and they see who's around, and the people let you in, and you just stay in their house with them and their family, and they make you breakfast. Did you feel safe? I actually did. I went, I was like, oh, I don't know yeah. about this. Cause even as I'm researching it, it's yeah. like, we only like have strangers like, house. Yes, yeah. exactly. I'm like, it literally translates to strangers house. And it's also on like level three of the like countries to watch from the United States. It's yeah. like, if we're at a color at yellow, that's probably not a good sign. And my friend was like, no, it'll be fine. And so we go. And it was actually great. I've heard it's a very hospitable country. It really, really is. Even when we would go to the beach, uh, you know, and we're like looking behind every few seconds to make sure that our wallets and our phones are still there. They have cops that patrol the beach and they reach out to you and they say, hey, keep an eye on your stuff there. You know, we're watching it for you. But, you know, just so you know, they're really, really great with tourists. So I highly recommend if you have the means go to Cuba soon because I think with this current administration they're going to start cutting ties for oh, people yeah, to the travel are there go, easily. Yeah. yeah. And well, I it's think it's kind of gonna... a double-edged sword because I feel like what makes it so special is that it's like this exclusive thing. Yeah. But then if it's shut off completely right. then you can't experience the exclusive thing. Right. And my prediction is that within the next five years it's going to blow up as a huge tourist Yeah. Then it'll be like cruises and yeah. like all the But I love being somewhere because my mom is a Spanish teacher and I've been speaking Spanish for almost ten years yeah. and I loved actually being able to use the language right. and, and be able to do that. Yeah. Also, Israel is pretty cool. I haven't been there. It's really cool. I've heard but it's dope. It's pretty dope. I mean, everybody I know that goes there loves it, minus, like, the bombings that are outside. Yeah. That's neither here nor but there. But <laughs> that's very cool. Yes. 
Awesome. Well, I think that's all the questions I have. If you're willing to be found on the internet or anything else you want to plug. Yes, totally. Um, so we did have a Facebook page for the five stages play unfortunately got hacked so yeah and then you know facebook was like "Mm, i'll think about helping you out but uh so you can follow me on instagram my handle is grin and barrett b-a-r-r-e-t-t that is it and if you don't have a humor for puns i ask (laughs) you not to follow me on that so grin and barrett 89 is my instagram handle um i don't have twitter i didn't have an iphone until i was a senior in college so i'm like still very new to the game game, i'm like how do you post (laughs) this picture um that's kind of it yeah awesome we'll definitely encourage people to reach out thank you so much thank you so much i loved this this is amazing thanks for listening camp adulthood is hosted by maddie yergi resident youth and shay keats camp adulthood we are produced by jenny mayfield and this episode was recorded in maddie's living room you can find us on social media at camp underscore adulthood. You can email us hello at campadulthood.com and you can visit us at campadulthood.com. Thanks, campers. We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood. <laughs>